Let's get into God's word, Psalm 53. This is a short psalm, but a very, just a very powerful one. They all are, but a lot here in these six verses. Uh, This is a psalm about the foolishness of man, the foolishness of the man who says in his heart there is no God, the foolishness of the man who refused to call upon God. Uh, This psalm talks about uh, the great disease of mankind, which is uh, sin. Uh, the fact that men don't seek God on their own and these that uh, do come to know the Lord, oftentimes they're devoured by these that reject God and so forth. A lot of bad news really in this psalm, but praise God, there's good news in it. And this psalm speaks about the salvation of the Lord that's come and the coming of the Lord as well. And so uh, let's read through the psalm here, uh, these first six verses, and then we'll begin to talk about the introduction and get into it. And uh, it's really a psalm with a lot of bad news, but praise God, there's the good news. And the bad news makes the good news so much better. Otherwise, what is it? It's just news, right? And, uh, you know, there's news everywhere, but, but there's good news. And the good news is wonderful. So let's read this together here, these six verses. To the chief musician set to Mahalath, a contemplation of David. The full has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity there is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great fear where no fear was for God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you you have put them to shame because God has despised them oh that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion when God brings back the captivity of his people let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad now notice here once again this is a psalm of David a contemplation of David so David wrote this as the holy spirit moved upon him as he was thinking upon god as he was thinking upon the word of god and thinking about issues in his own life and circumstances in the world and it seems that david was thinking about the foolishness of man the foolishness of individuals who refuse to acknowledge god who refuse to call upon god those that persecute the people of god and we have a lot of information about D- David's life from the time he was a boy to the time he passed away. And we see that David indeed dealt with a lot of foolish individuals, people like Goliath or King Saul and his apostasy, Nabal, whose name means fool. Can you imagine that? Oh, what's your name, fool? You know, <laughs> Absalom, his son, and, and Joab, who seemed to have a faith, but boy, a lot of foolish actions, a lot, a lot of foolishness. <laughs> Uh, in and around David's life, times when David did foolish things. Uh, you know what? I think we can relate. A lot of foolishness in the world today. And as David uh, thought about these things before the Lord, the Lord birthed this psalm on his heart. Now, what's interesting about this psalm, as we read it, if it sounds familiar, uh, it may be because this psalm is identical or almost identical, I should say, to Psalm 14 with just a few little exceptions. A little uh, in, in, in Psalm 14 that's not in Psalm 53 and a very little in Psalm 53 that's not in Psalm 14, but it's a psalm that for the most part is repeated. It's said two times. And in the scripture, when things are repeated, um, oftentimes it's because 
these are things that we need to be reminded of or they're things that we have a tendency to resist. They're things that are greatly important. It's not to say that if something's said once in the scripture that we discount it or it's less important, but when things are repeated, it's because we need to hear it more than once. As parents, we're familiar with this with our kids. There's some things that have to be said more than once, right? Rarely do you have to say, come eat your dessert more than once, but do your homework oftentimes has to be said more than once because there's a tendency to not want to hear about the homework, but you know, they know all about the the dessert and the same thing with us listen there's some things that uh we have a tendency to not want to hear again in the scripture there's a lot of bad news and men have a tendency in themselves they get their eyes off the lord to want to drift from that and not really completely endure sound doctrine and truth but instead give us some fables and itch our ears and so forth so this psalm is again almost identical to psalm 14 now What's interesting here is it says this is set to Mahalath. And Mahalath is, in the Hebrew, a word that means disease. So this psalm is speaking of man's spiritual disease, which is sin. And if that sin is not cured, if men die in their sin, if they die unforgiven, if they die under the law, not under the grace of God, we know that this disease produces not only death, I mean, death is in the world today because of the sin of man, but it produces the second death. It damns man's soul to an eternity under the wrath of God in a place called hell. And, um, you know, hell wasn't created for man. It was created for the devil and his angels when he rebelled against God. But when man followed suit, he became subjected to that too, as well. Because, see, God's not going to bring disease into heaven. Remember, it says in Revelation, he's going to heal us of all disease there won't be any more of that god's not bringing that into eternity man was separated from god when he sinned there in the garden and again this is a disease that needs to be cured otherwise we are under eternal condemnation when we come to that place of healing we come to that place of eternal salvation we're going to talk a lot about that this morning it's bad news but again we're really going to get to the good news as well as we go through this and there is good news in that there is a great physician who has come to heal that disease, who's made a way of being healed from that disease. And uh, his name's Jesus Christ. And Jesus speaks of this even in his ministry, speaks of this in the book of Matthew, this Mahalath, this disease, and the fact that he came to make a way to be healed from it. Notice in Matthew 9, starting in verse 10, it says, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. <clears throat> and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, these guys were blinded because they were sinners too. But you know what? They thought with a, a blind self-righteousness. In verse 12, it says, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, notice, to repentance. And so those that knew they were sick, the tax collectors who are notorious for ripping people off, it probably should say the thieves, and the sinners, and sometimes we get a list of some of those sinners, you know, wine bibbers and drunks and, you know, prostitutes and 
you know, uh, you know, scoundrels and brawlers and so forth. Uh, the Lord invited them to come and eat with them. And oftentimes this is so taken out of context. Oh, Jesus ate with sinners and people leave out where he says, you know, to repent to those sinners. And they use that as a justification for what they are doing. Oh, the Lord will sit down and dine with me on my rebellion and, you know, participate me, with me in my rebellion. That's not what this is. This is Jesus going to those that were sick who knew they were sick to say, listen, there is a means of salvation. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sin, turn from trusting in your own belly, your own way, and put your trust to me. I am the means of salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the message that he preached, and that's the message that he fulfilled in his death and his resurrection. Indeed, he is the great physician. He is the only way to be healed of Mahalath, the sin of disease. He is the only one that atoned for our sins and defeated the result of our sin death when he rose from the grave. Let me ask you this morning, have you put faith in the great physician? Can you say amen to that? It's a wonderful place to be. Now notice as well here, again, to the chief musician set to disease, (laughs) a contemplation of David. Now this is the second time the chief musician has been told to sing this psalm, again, Psalm 14, Psalm 53, about disease. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were driving down the road or wherever and you heard a song on Christian radio, you know, positive, encouraging, about Mahalath? You know, there's some that mention sin and so forth, and there's some, absolutely, that are better than others, but boy, there are some that are just like, this guy's singing about Jesus or his girlfriend, what's going on here, you know? But really just, ultimately, you know, this is just a, a psalm here, this is like full on Mahalath here. Full says in his heart, there's no God. You know, they're all corrupt. They've all done abominable iniquity. I mean, that, that would be how the course would go. You don't hear a lot of that. You, you hear a few, and, you know, here and there, but, but very, very rare. And if, you know, what, why is that the question? When you read the Bible, there's a lot of talk about Mahalath, a lot of talk about disease. Again, the only way you can talk about the good news, the gospel, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news is that you have bad news. Otherwise, it's just news. And again, there's news everywhere. And if we aren't going to give the whole counsel of God to just kind of bring part of it news, then it's like, why, why are we even gathered here? That's foolishness. But the bad news is bad. And generally, people don't like to hear the bad news. And if you're the bearer of bad news, it can be costly. Again, we'll get here in a little bit to verse 4 where it says, you know what, these individuals, they eat the people of God like bread. And if you're going to stand in the truth, you're going to get some pushback at times. You might get persecuted, um, especially in an age where there's so many not enduring sound doctrine. So you don't hear a lot of songs about Mahalath, a lot of songs that are about the bad news. And again, in this psalm, they point you to the good news here at the end. But being the bearer of bad news is not a recipe for selling records or downloads, And with this as well, and this is really a fulfillment of prophecy, there's been a massive movement in these last days within the church to suppress the bad news. Uh, Starting with people like Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Shuler, uh, really picked up by men like Bill Hybels and Rick Warren and Andy Stanley. The seeker-sensitive movement. 
where, you know, people are coming in and they're seeking. We want to be real sensitive. No bad news. If they hear bad news, they might not come back. I mean, Rick Warren built his church in Orange County on surveying people. They went out and they surveyed people. They knocked on doors for over a year and they said, hey, what do you want in a church? They're asking carnal men this. What do you want? And they got that list and they said, we're going to give them the church that they want. That's not biblical. We need to preach the word of God. We need to proclaim the, the scriptures, not give them what they want. I mean, when I wasn't a Christian and they said, hey, what do you want in a church? We'd be clubbing on Sunday morning, you know? You know, come and appease my flesh. Tell me what I want to hear, you know? I won't expand on that anymore. <laughs> it gets worse from there. But there's just been this massive movement. I mean, and, and I, I don't know these people's hearts. I, I don't know their intent. You know, sometimes there's good intention. There's a lot of good ideas that aren't God's ideas. And when you begin to really open the word, you say, well, this actually isn't a good idea. But when guys like Andy Stanley are saying very recently, we need to unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. And the, the reasoning behind it, it's just too negative. Too much bad news. Listen, the Old Testament proclaims the good news. Yeah, it shows the bad news, but it points to Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament shows that Jesus is the Christ, fulfilling over 300 prophecies and so forth. I mean, this Mahalath here, this, we're in the Old Testament, and so on and so forth. But, but this has become an epidemic in, in a lot of the church. Uh, I mean, think about this. And, and again, the idea behind it, well, this is loving. It's a kumbaya environment. And these people are seeking them or not offending them. And eventually, we'll kind of sneak Jesus in there. But, you know, eventually, we'll bring them in. Um, can you imagine, you know, what, feeling ill or, or recognizing, you know, there's something wrong? And a lot of times when people come to church, no matter what it is, there, there's a recognition that I need something, I need God, generally there's still that association. So going to the doctor, recognizing, I, I think I have some issues, and then that doctor examining you and getting the lab results back and him seeing that you have a disease. But him going, you know, I really want to be the feel-good doctor. Everyone likes coming to me because I give them a positive diagnosis. And I, I don't want to break that up. You know, and everyone comes because of that. And can you imagine that doctor not giving you the bad news and you continue to get sick, especially when there's a cure for your disease? And then can you imagine it leading to your death? And then eventually all that comes out. Listen, that doctor would be guilty of gross negligence and malpractice that if taken to court as he or she should be, uh, would cost them they're licensed to practice medicine, and rightfully so. Well, is not the soul of man of more valuable than even the flesh of man? There's nothing more valuable than your soul. We're talking about eternity here. And yet, again, there is such a lack of declaring the bad news of Mahalath. And so this is the second time, you know, the chief musician's like, hey, what, what are we playing this morning? Uh, we're going to do... Uh, in fact, we'll do Psalm 14 and Psalm 43. We're going to do a double Mahalath there. Oh, you know, no one likes that. But we got to hear it. And so notice here, and we're going to spend a lot of time in the first verse. It says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. And then notice here, there is none who does good. That's repeated twice in this psalm, repeated twice in Psalm 14. It's repeated in 
Romans and other places of the New Testament, there is none who does good. It says here, it'll start with the fool said in his heart. Now, now, one thing I want you to notice right off the bat, it doesn't say the fool says out loud. Now, there's some fools that are extra foolish. They say it in their heart and they say it out loud. But God knows the heart of all men. And there's some people with their mouth, they say that there's God uh, or a God. I mean, the scripture even talks about certain people that profess Christ, but really they don't know him in their heart. They've never really put their faith in him. It's just an hypocrisy. Um, but they say this in their heart. And we do a lot of talking in our hearts. And, and really what goes in our heart really shows where our faith really is and, and what we really believe. And I know eventually a lot of times the mouth is reflective of the heart. But sometimes what comes out of the mouth that's vile, you know, it, 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 you can see there's an issue there, but you don't necessarily see the issue. And there's a lot of individuals that in their heart, they deny God. And, and we'll take this a step further in a minute that really if you're denying Christ, who, who is God, there's a denial of God. And, and it could be, yeah, there's no God, or it could even be there's no God in my life. And, and, and I don't want God in my life. But in his heart, the fool says this. And this is a heavy word that, that God chooses to use here. Um, it's a, a, the word fool, it's not to be used lightly in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 5, 21 through uh, 22, Jesus is talking about, you've heard that you shouldn't murder. And then he says, basically, if you hate in your heart, you're, you're in danger of judgment. And then he goes on to say, whoever says you fool uh, shall be in danger of hellfire. And now this is being spoken in a matter of you fool in the sense of, I despise you. I want to bring, you know, I want to bring vengeance upon you and so forth. But it's not to be used lightly and so this is a heavy word that god chooses to use here the fool has said in his heart and it's a word too that is much broader than just fool because i think if we say fool a lot of people can come up with with different meanings in that foolishness or they can say well he's he does a lot of foolish things he's a fool but boy he's a good-natured fellow and whatnot and and this is really a combination of that the word fool here in the hebrew it has three main meanings to it it means vile it means wicked it means stupid and so it's saying that the stupid has said in his heart there's no good no god the wicked has said in their heart there's no god the vile has said in their heart there's no god now vile it means disgusting or repulsive odor and and the one that says there's no god doesn't have a relationship with god and so they're in their sin and that sin is a foul odor before God Almighty. Uh, Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteousness are like filthy rags before we came to Christ to be washed. Again, our sins separate us from him. The odor of death spiritually. And so it's a foulness to God Almighty. It's vile. There's a wickedness in the foolish man because He's saying, I'll be my own God. I don't need to have God. There is no God, but absolutely, even if he says there's no God, it's man saying, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. I serve the God of my belly. I follow my five senses. I do as I will, which is the motto of actually Satanism. And that's foolish. Philippians 3, 18 and 19 says, For many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they're enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, notice, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, 
who set their mind on earthly things. So they say, you know what, there is no God in my life, but they serve the God of their belly and they glory in sin, which is actually to their shame and their mind is just set on the temporary things of this life. They don't consider their ladder and they don't even consider God. So the fool is vile, he's wicked. And then it says, or you know, you look at the root word there, he's stupid. And most atheists, most people that even believe this in their heart, their conclusion is, well, I can't see God, so I don't believe. And then they go and they pat themselves on the back, and these are the people that think they're the smartest people on the face of the earth. Have you ever run into an atheist that actually professes their atheism? Then they, you get all their philosophies and so forth of how they figure it all out, and they say, I'm so smart. And they say, the smart people know there's no God. And God says, you're stupid. <laughs> God says, you're a fool. Could you imagine that group getting together and they say, we don't believe that there's a God because we can't see God. And we also don't believe there's any wind because you can't see wind. You can't see it. You can see the effects of it. You can see leaves blowing. You can feel it blowing on your face, but you can't see it. Because you can't see it, it doesn't exist. Boy, aren't we so smart over here? All you dummies that believe in wind, what's wrong with you? All your wind crutches and whatnot. <laughs> or where they got together and they said, we don't believe in loves, we don't believe in love and feelings and emotion because you can't see that. So since you can't see it, we don't believe in it. None of that exists whatsoever. Aren't we so smart over here and so forth? And yet you turn on the radio and like, Three quarters of the song, where are they all about? Love. You know? People falling in love, people falling out of love, people wanting love. Or what about this one? We can't see our thoughts. We might be able to see them in our mind's eye, but you cannot see your thoughts. And so since we cannot see our thoughts, therefore, there are no thoughts because we can't see them. Well, that would sound like someone, something, something someone would say who is not thinking, but it's still a thought. Again, there's evidence of wind all around you. There's evidence of love. There's evidence of thoughts. Just because someone's saying, I don't see them so they don't exist, doesn't mean they don't exist. Not only do they exist, but they're incredibly powerful. I mean, the wind on the earth moves the weather around and everything else. It has a profound impact on you know what our, our ecology and can you imagine if we didn't have love or thoughts we really wouldn't exist if we didn't have those emotions and those thoughts and so forth they drive our lives really and here's the thing the evidences of god far out far uh, you know it outnumber and are beyond than the wind love and thoughts which actually are gifts from god the ability to think, the ability to love, the ability to feel, the wind and the air, and so forth. In fact, the scripture says that God has written these things upon man's heart. Ecclesiastes 3.10 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and He has put eternity into their hearts. And so man knows He's an eternal being. He knows He's been created by an eternal God. Romans 1, 18 and 19. You knew I was going there, right? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice here. 
who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. So there's a knowledge of God manifest in, the men, in, in, in men who are created in the image of God. It's written upon them. Now, it doesn't mean that God indwells everyone. God indwells us when we put our faith in Christ. When the disease is dealt with through faith in Christ, then he gives us the Holy Spirit. Before then, though, absolutely, his name's written on our heart. He holds us together. In him, we live and move and have our being because he holds us together. And it's written upon our hearts that there is a God. Just like, you know, if there was a computer saying, I'm not an apple. And then you open that thing up and it's like, it's written right on you, dummy. Can't you see that? And this is what God's saying. Hey, dummy. Hey, fool. Hey, stupid. And I know a lot of atheists would be grossly offended because they, these people are so thin-skinned, right? Anything offends them. Like, oh, I, oh, we're smart. How dare you say that about me? And God says, it's written on your heart. And then Jesus Christ said in John 18, or 16, 8, excuse me, and when he has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he'll convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He convicts people that they're sinners, that they're under judgment, that they need to have a right standing with the living God. He's the righteous one. So in conviction of righteousness is a conviction they need to be right with the righteous one. And then, you know what, beyond that, um, creation itself declares there's a creator. Again, back there in Romans 1 and 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. And then it goes on, it says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They became unthankful, became futile in their thoughts. It says their foolish hearts were darkened. And then it says, professing to be wise, they became fools and they began to worship the creation instead of the creator. And then God gave them over to, you know, a depraved mind and so forth. And so creation itself. And if anyone in this room or if anyone stood up and they said, hey, I am so smart, I, I, I know everything, and that chair you're sitting in, I've used this illustration before, I'll use it again because it's effective, I believe. If, if anyone came along and they said, hey, that chair that you sat in is the product of time plus slime. That that, that thing, you know, it, it, it just finally evolved and manifests because enough time came by. And if you give enough time, then anything's possible. And they stood here and they said, all the chairs, the carpet, this building, it's just the product of time. And eventually, you know, you give enough time and anything's possible. You'd say you're out of your mind. You can turn that chair over and it says Bertolini on the bottom of it. It was made in a manufacturer. You go to the office and there's still plans from 1958 for that side of the building and 1960 for this side of the building. This thing was designed. This thing was built. This thing was put together. And the most simple cells in the world are more complex than anything men have ever been able to design and put into motion. And on top of that, God spoke those things into existence. Anything that man has designed or put into motion has been by God allowing men to think and even give them the materials to be able to put into motion that which is his in the first place. And yet we're so smart. And it, you know what? It, it's ludicrous. Even the idea of evolving up. 
you know, and, and they'll look to a, a, a defect, you know, and, and they'll say there's a defect. And that's, yeah, that's a picture of evolution. And yet those things are the product of DNA being damaged. So these things are just, you know what, um, grossly twisted. It, as it says here, it's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. People wanting to practice unrighteousness. And so they suppress the truth. And that's why even they devour the people of God that want to bring truth. They get so grossly offended at the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're resisting these things. They're kicking against God. They're wanting to do their own thing. So they don't even want to hear the name of Jesus. That's why the name of Jesus is so offensive to so many people. See, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not offended if you say Allah or whatever else. Not a, you know, Whatever. I'm not offended if someone wants to believe in Santa Claus, but, you know, oh, you believe in Jesus? You're an offense to me. Why? Because they're suppressing the truth and that rebellion against God. Also, again, you look at prophecy. Talk about the evidences of God. So much of the Bible is prophecy. Things said, again, that have been fulfilled. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. We can look right now and see 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled to the T. Prophecy unfolding in our, unfolding in our world today, the regathering of Israel against all odds, a nation of people persecuted, scattered over the earth for 2,000 years, yet God said they would come back together in the land, gave the order they would come back in the land. Indeed, they fulfilled that. The, fa- the fact this land that was barren would become a fruitful land, it is. The Hebrew language would be revived. So, so many prophecies. And not, you know, well, some are right. No, fulfilled to the T. And yet these people, again, in their rebellion, saying in their heart, there is no God. Now, again, does this just speak of the atheist? I would say no. It speaks to even those that say, well, I believe in a God, but they don't trust their souls to the God. And sadly, there's a lot of people running around thinking, well, I, I believe in God, so I'm okay. And then you say, well, what God do you believe in? I knew a fellow who was uh, involved in AA and NA and all that, and he's like, oh, I believe in God. Oh, you believe in Jesus? He's like, no, my God's my doorknob. That's my higher power. I go, that's, no, that's not a God. Well, it is to me, just a higher power. You've been bamboozled, man. That's your God? He's like all offended by me. Run into even a lot of Christians who their loved one will pass away, and I'll ask, you know, were they a believer? Well, I don't know, but they believed in God. You got to believe in the God, the God of heaven, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ. It'd be like someone saying, I believe in pro football. Oh, the, the NFL, no. CFL, no. Arena League? I guess we can call that pro football. No. What do you believe in? Pop Warner. Well, that's football, but that's not pro football. And there's a lot of people, again, that they might believe there's a God, but they don't believe in the God. And you ask the question, again, how can be people be so blind? Well, it says here they're corrupt. They've done abominable iniquity. There's none that does good. 
man got corrupted there in the garden. God created man. He had a relationship with, with man. There was no sin. There was a, a unity there. There was no mahalath. There was no disease. And yet God gave one command. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He ate of that tree thinking he would become like God, thinking he'd become God-like. Again, rebellion. I don't need you. I'll be my own God. Yeah, I know you just made me out of dirt, but I'm ready to rise up and be my own God. And God said, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Again, that physical death set in and spiritual death set in that day. Man became diseased, separated from the God of heaven. And again, God's not bringing that disease into heaven. He's not bringing that rebellion into heaven. Just like you wouldn't bring it in disease into your, your home. So again, man was corrupted. All mankind got infected with this disease called sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And so man is corrupted, separated from God Almighty. We have a corrupted heart. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why we say stupid things in our heart. All of us are guilty of doing that. And then he says, all have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. All have. We've all acted on that corruption, proving God true and us being liars. And God has given us the law as a doctor, as a tutor, to show us that we're corrupted. This is why, this is why modern man so kicks against the Ten Commandments. Again, what's so offensive? Ten things you shouldn't do. I think most people would agree those are things that you shouldn't do. And yet, why is man so offended? Because there's a conviction. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not lie, covet, murder, you know, so on and so forth. Why is man so offended by that? Why you got to get that out of here? Because there's a conviction. Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. It shows us, that's the doctor there, it says you're sick. A conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, where do I turn? It brings me to Christ, the great physician, the sinless one, to wash me so that I can go from being under the law that damns me, being washed by the blood of Christ, to being under grace and being positionally right with God through the blood of Jesus that saves me. Doesn't that make the good news so much better when you understand the bad news? And then notice here, all have committed abominable things. All of us have. Abominable, you know, disgusting things before God. And unfortunately, there's some people that say, well, you know, I'm not like one of those bad people. I've done a lot of good things. No, God says, you've done abominable things. All of you have. All y'all, he says. Proverbs 16, or 6.16 says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look. We're all guilty. They're like, not me. Well, you're proud to be humble. So a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked plans. There's, there's, this, there's even a lot of people that in doing good, there's a wickedness. They do good to be recognized by others. And it's all about getting recognition. Running around and, oh, is the, you know, the photo, it, it will, will there be a picture? Then I'll be there doing good. That's wicked. Versus just doing it to honor God. Feet that are swift to run to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. One who sows discord among 
the brethren. So again, we'll come back to none that does good here in a minute, but that's the case. Now again, in all this bad news, there's good news. Because when man sinned there in the garden and became corrupt, God immediately gave a promise of a savior who'd come through the seed of the woman. Though the serpent would bruise his heel, that savior would crush his head. That's Christ born of a virgin, born without a sin nature. That's why he needed to come through a virgin, the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, born the son of God, born the son of man, tempted in every way, yet he didn't sin. He never came Mahalath. He never became, again, diseased by sin. And remember, death came through one man, so salvation comes through one man. He went to the cross of Calvary, lived that sinless life to pay the penalty of our sin. He laid down his life. He was buried. When he rose from the grave, he conquered the wages of our sin, death. And if we put our faith in him, I'm a sinner, Lord. I want to turn from being my own God, and I want to put trust in you to be my God, be my Lord. Then again, we get washed by that blood, no longer under the law. The requirements of the law are nailed to the cross, and now I'm under the grace of God. Now I'm saved. Now I'm positionally right with God. Not to want to go back and participate in those things and use grace for lasciviousness or a license to sin, but to use my freedom to honor the Lord, to abound, to be set apart, to strive to live a holy life to the glory of God Almighty. That's the good news. Now we'll go through the rest of these pretty quick. Verse two, God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. And the truth of the matter is, on our own we do not seek after him he first sought after us and if he didn't come seeking after us we never would have been able to respond to him he is the active party in our salvation remember adam sinned and did he say i've sinned god where are you lord i need you no he went and he hid himself and started sewing fig leaves up to cover his mahalath maybe i can take care of my disease myself and god wouldn't sought him god sought out moses god sought out abraham when he was worshiping idols on the other side of the jordan in syria and he said come follow me he sought out the disciples and he sought us out isn't that good news then he says there in verse three every one of them has turned aside they have together become corrupt there is none that does good no not one Boy, the more you get men together and the more they push out God, the more corrupt it gets. And, and we're, we're in a, a collision course right now with the end of days and there's a massive move for a one world religion and one world government and one world economy. Man, the more that's pushed and so forth, the more these men get together, the uglier it gets. That's why God scattered them at the Tower of Babel. They got together in rebellion against God to say we are good. And God said, if I don't go down and break this up, there's nothing that they put their hand to that they won't be able to do. That's quite a statement. But everyone's turned to the side. Even though God's right in front of all of us, calling us to himself. Listen to Acts 17, 26, 28, with all this in mind that we're looking at. It says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings a great truth here we're all one blood this idea of races it's nonsense it comes from darwin it comes from hitler it comes from people like margaret sanger it comes from fools who say there's no god listen we all come from one blood it's a pigmentation issue get, get educated the truth will set you free on it if you grew up in a racist home and you had that 
indoctrination. Get educated in truth. Biblical truth, real science truth, not pseudoscience. Again, there are no races in scriptures. There's tribes, there's ethnicities, but they're not racist. We're one race or the human race from one blood and we're only saved by one blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? But God did this, boundaries and so forth for their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord Notice, and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, we're the offspring of God. Now that doesn't mean we're God, but we're created in the image and likeness of God. We're image bearers of God, so to speak. And in him we live and move, we we have our being. He's the one that holds us together. So God's right in front of everyone knocking. And yet he says, yet every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. And before we finally heeded that call of Christ to come to him, we were in the same place. And then he reiterates it again. There's none that does good, no, not one. This is reiterated multiple times in scripture. Why? Because men so love to declare their own righteousness and their own goodness. Just like those Pharisees that are like, why is your teacher sitting with tax collectors and sinners? It's like, we got room for one more, son. You're a sinner too. Come on in. But they're thinking we're the good people. And you see this in culture. There's people, I call them the untouchables. Certain individuals that our culture sets up as these are the good people. These are the people we're to strive to be like. And they're above all the rest of us over here. There's these people up here. And then we're all down here and so forth. The untouchables. And most of these people, you really get into what they taught, what they believed. I don't know their heart, but it's grossly wicked. I'll throw out an untouchable to you. I'll probably get, oh, oh, don't you dare say that. I don't know this person's heart, but I know their doctrine. And it's grossly, grossly demonic and wicked. And yet this individual is considered the epitome of what it is to be good. Mother Teresa. Yeah, she helped the orphans and so forth. Look, that's a good thing. But A, listen, the, the, the message of Roman Catholicism is not the gospel of the Bible. I mean, they're Pope, they're vicar on earth, that's what they call him, Jesus' representation here on earth. He recently said atheists will be in heaven. God says here you're vile, wicked, and stupid, and God's not bringing vile and wickedness into heaven. You better humble your heart and call on Christ. Why would he say that? When he said that, were you like, what? I know a lot of Catholics that said, what? A lot of them, they can't stand that guy. They call him the anti, but they're like, I think he's the antichrist. Why would he say that? Because if you really get into Roman Catholicism, you're not saved by the shed blood of the lamb. You're saved through penance. You're saved through your own works. So the thought is even the atheist will go to purgatory. And once he's been there a few million years, he'll atone for his own sin. And then he'll be able to enter into heaven. There's nothing new in that. That's not like some new doctrine. Everyone's like, what? You're like, yeah, that's, that's Roman Catholicism. You'll pay the penalty for your own sin. So can corrupt men save themselves? No, it's only the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, praise God, there's enough truth in that system for people to get saved. And a lot of people do. And then they start reading their Bibles and they're like, oh. And it's not to say that, listen, Protestants got it all together. There's a lot of bad, you know, again, this stuff's across the board. We all need to pay attention to our doctrine. In doing so, we'll save ourselves and those who hear us. But Mother Teresa 
she took that one step further in that she said, I'm not trying to convert anyone to Christianity. If someone's a Buddhist, they need to be the best Buddhist they can be. If someone's a Hindu, they need to be the best Hindu that they can be. If that's the path that they found to God, then they need to walk on that road to God. Listen, that is grossly wicked and demonic, affirming people in the rebellion against God. Grossly wicked. And again, it's not my point here to pick on her as an individual, but to make the point, certain individuals are put up the untouchables. Oh, look at them up there. If we can just be like them. That's a satanic plot for men to think I can be good enough. And God declares there is none who does good. No, not one. Listen, the only thing that separates us from those that are going to hell is the grace of God. In of myself, I'm going to hell. In fact, I'm, I'm up in the front of the, of the engine here. You know, thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your mercy. Verse 4, have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? No, we've seen they have knowledge. There's knowledge there. We're called to give them more knowledge. We're called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is where there's a distinction between those that continue in this and those that come to God as we give more advice, as we give more knowledge, preach the bad news and the good news, notice, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God. And so they have knowledge. We're called to give them more knowledge. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, right? But as you bring that good news, so oftentimes there's a persecution that comes with it, with these individuals that want to suppress the truth. They want their conscience eased. They like this idea of all roads lead to God. We're good enough. We're good people. And when you come along and you say, no, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. You know what? We're all sinners. We're damned to hell. He's the only way. Man, a lot of people get upset with that. But here's the thing. Why are they upset if... They're so confident in what they believe. Again, I don't get upset when people are like, yeah, I believe in Santa Claus. Oh, well, you know, whatever. I don't get, oh, dare you believe in Santa Claus. You know? But boy, you know, Jesus Christ, you preach the gospel. You know what? How dare you? Yet in their rebellion... Again, not only is it enough for them to practice these things today and call good evil, evil good, there's this great effort then to get everyone to affirm them in their evil. It's not enough that, hey, it's a free country, do what you want. Now it's, yeah, I'll do what I want, and you have to affirm me in what I'm doing. And if you even say you disagree with what I'm doing, then you're hateful and you're wicked and you're a racist and you're a bigot and all this kind of stuff. If you're so confident in that, why do you need my affirmation? I don't need yours. I don't need anyone to affirm me of who I am in Jesus Christ. I have the word of God to do that and the Holy Spirit. And yet they turn around again to eat my people like they eat bread. And listen, bread's, bread is, is, is consumed in the house of paupers and kings. It's a picture of a mass consumption. It doesn't say who eat my people like escargot or caviar, caviar but like bread. And this is why, again, you see such an apostasy in the church. This is why going back, and we're almost under that whole seeker-sensitive thing in the beginning. We don't want to hear Mahalath. We don't want to hear that bad news. Let's give people what they want to hear. This is all prophetic. 
2 Timothy 2, 3. The time will come when thee will not endure sound doctrine. It takes endurance to endure truth. You're going to walk in truth. There's going to be some resistance, some pushback. My own flesh is offended by the truth most of the time. And that's why I got to be crucified. They won't endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears. They'll heap up for themselves teachers. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to the fables. That's speaking of the church. How much more in the world? Tell us what we want to hear. Itch our ears. We don't want to hear a Psalm 53, a Psalm 40, 14. Oh, Andy Stanley, let's hitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Okay, yeah, okay, Andy, let's follow you, buddy. Charles should take this guy out and discipline him, his father. Dude, what's wrong with you, man? I won't get into all that. I'll get in trouble up here. Serious, though. You as a man declare we're going to get rid of half, you know, the, the whole Old Testament? And people still follow this guy? What in the world? It's prophetic, though. Verse 5. There they are in great fear where no fear was. So again, these people walk without a fear of God, but the day's coming when there will be a fear of God. Jeremiah 10.10, At his wrath the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Eventually the chickens come home to roost. For God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. It speaks of his judgment. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. And this is interesting here. They glory in their shame. God hates our sin. We've heard that phrase before. God hates the sin and loves the sinner. And that's true. He loved the world so much he sent a son. But it seems as if men, when men continue in their sin, he despises them. Do you have anything you love and hate in your life? It seems like this is a love-hate thing with God. Romans 9, 13, it says, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. I've heard that, mess, that verse preached on several times and it seems the bulk of the message is man explaining why God really didn't hate Esau. And God says, I hate Esau. Well, God can't hate Esau, he's loving. Well, he loved Esau and that he sent his son to die for him. But in Hebrews 12, 16 and 17, it says, Esau was a fornicator and a profane person. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. He was more interested in soup than salvation. And then when he didn't get a blessing, he wept not over his sin, but because he didn't get his blessing. And God says, I hate him for that. He says he despises those that say there is no God. We need to be familiar with this. Oh, great, now I can go hate sinners. No, that's not what this is saying. Again, he loves these people. At the same time, though, he despises them, and he's righteous in doing that. So don't you dare step back and, aha, I got you, God, you're not loving, you hate Esau. He died on the cross for Esau. Died on the cross for us in our rebellion. He demonstrated his love. He didn't just say it, but at the same time, he's saying, if you embrace this, I hate the sin, and here he says, I hated Esau, and I despise them. There's a lot there that that I honestly don't understand or get, but this is what the scripture says, and I'm not ashamed of God's word. I might not understand all of it, but I'm not ashamed of it. Finally, verse six. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. Again, this is Old Testament. All this bad news, all this mahaloth, all this disease, and then it's like, oh, where do we turn? Oh, that the salvation of God would come out of or the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. This was a, a yearning Maranatha 
come Messiah. For them, it was the first time. And indeed, he would come out of Zion. Jesus would come and live that sinless life, that mahalath, that disease-free life, and die for, for our salvation, to make that way of salvation. And hear this, he's coming back a second time. He's coming back a second time for his church. And I find myself more and more saying, oh, Jesus, oh, that you would return. Maranatha, come soon, Lord. Notice when he brings back the captivity of his people. Remember Christ when he came, he died on the cross. It says he descended before he ascended. In Hebrews, it says he ascended, first descended, and did what? Led captivity captive. In the Old Testament, when they put faith in Christ, when they died, they didn't go to heaven. They went to Hades. They went to Abraham's bosom, a place of paradise in Hades. Jesus talks about this. And when Christ died, their sins were atoned for. So he went down to Hades. He opened the door. He led captivity captive. Their faith was now fulfilled, and he took them into glory. You ever feel like you're captive here on earth as a follower of Christ? When he comes back, he's going to take captivity captive. We're going to be with him and roll and reign with him forever and ever. And so with this, he says, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Gentiles are, you know, adopted sons of Abraham by grace through faith. And we know all Israel will eventually be saved according to Romans and the scriptures. And he says, rejoice in this and be glad. Rejoice at the salvation of God. Rejoice that there's a Savior. Rejoice that God made a way, that he's the great physician. And see, as we look at this bad news again, it makes the good news make sense, and it makes the good news good news versus just, just news. Let's stand up and close in prayer. <clears throat> Well, Heavenly Father, we bless you today. We praise you and thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you are the cure for our disease. I want to hope and pray, God, that we would rejoice in that, that all the more, God, we would celebrate you today. I want to pray, God, that we could be a people and would be a people who endure sound doctrine. God, that we would have a thick skin and a soft heart. Lord, that we would pay attention to our doctrine. You said in doing so, we'll save ourselves and those who hear us. Lord, I want to pray, God, that there would be a, a blessing where your truth is being rightly divided and proclaimed. And God, I, I would hope and pray by your grace and mercy that this could be one of those places to your glory and to your honor, God. Listen, if you haven't called on the name of Jesus today, you, you've heard the bad news and you've heard the good news. And a few psalms before this, it says, a humble and contrite heart, the Lord won't refuse. Listen, humble your heart. Bring your sin before God. Ask him to forgive you of it. Repent, which means, it means you're turning from putting trust in your own belly to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith, they, they really go hand in hand. As you ask Jesus to be your Lord, you're saying, this will no longer be my Lord. Call on his name. He will meet you where you're at. He'll wash you and cleanse you. Be your Lord and Savior. He will send his spirit to dwell in you. Enter into that covenant, the grace today. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you that your word says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, let us finish well here. 
Let us lift our voices to you right now and just worship you in spirit and truth and give you glory. Let's praise him as we close. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This call is known, this solid ground. Turn through the fiercest drought and storm.
Amen. Well, God bless you. There's food out there that's been prayed over and made. Go be blessed with that. Encourage someone before you leave today. God bless you in Jesus.